For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor. And I'm here with uh, Isis. I almost forgot her name. Sorry about that, Isis. I'm here with Corey Stone and Corey Smith, and we're here to talk about the second episode of Season 7, Stormborn. Let's get right into it. This was a great episode. It wasn't as jaw-dropping. Man, I am really off my game tonight, but that's okay. I am really off my game. Maybe I've had a few too too many beers. Um, But let's talk about everything that happened in Stormborn last night, and... I think we should go ahead and get right into the fact that uh, Daenerys Targaryen does not seem very happy that uh, it's raining at Dragonstone. I saw a tweet last night that she's just grumpy because she brought her bathing suit and she can't go to the beach. Isis, uh, get us started off with the show and uh, Grumpy Danny at Dragonstone. Yeah, uh, that was actually something that I noted uh, during the live tweet. I don't know how many times... Uh, in Game of Thrones, have we seen, you know, it raining? Uh, so that was definitely out of character. Uh, it, I think it brought a lot of gloominess to what was going on. And, and, and she was kind of lashing out on uh, on our favorite Baldy there, uh, Varys. She was kind of lashing out on him and, and kind of giving him the business. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Varys. I've always been a, a good fan of his. But I felt like she was giving him the business, but at the same time, he didn't back down from her and was very open and honest about, you know, his background and and the the reasons why he has done his the things he has done and uh, i found that quite refreshing and i feel like that that kind of turned danny a little bit and kind of went okay you know what you've explained yourself i'm kind of lashing out at you you didn't back down from me i'm gonna let this one go but you turn your back on me then it's game on oh, so i really alive. i mean yeah you know i'm gonna handle my business, but, uh, you know, with my dragons. So I really loved it that that interaction kind of played through. 
Um, I didn't expect it because I think I felt like they were we were just going to kind of overlook that whole situation with varies and everything and just kind of plow through. Uh, but they they made it a point to kind of stop and and as fast paced as the season is going, I felt like it was um, it was a really nice touch to it and it gave us some background on varies as well. It was a good episode uh, for little moments like that, specifically with Daenerys and her war council, because when they were talking later in the daytime, and you had that ridiculous Ilaria Sand trying to talk about, trying to justify the fact that she poisoned Marcella and calling all the Lannisters evil. Once again, blaming everybody for O'Baron's death, everybody but O'Baron. Uh, Daenerys stood up for Tyrion. I mean, there was a lot of great interaction in this episode, but Corey Smith, you also talked about the fact that she just came off like she. As if she had just woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah, she kind of seemed, I mean, really really freaking grumpy last night. I don't know what the damn deal was. And, you know, she was interrogating Varys, but it's like, you know, homeboy just spent the last year, you know, taking care of Marine while you were off in the desert with the Dothraki. You know what I mean? And then he delivered the Tyrells and the Martells along with, uh, you know, parts, I think the Greyjoys probably came on their own but it's like he's been doing all this shit for you and then all of a sudden it occurs to you that maybe his loyalty is questionable it just seemed kind of random to me um i mean the best thing i could explain it was that she kind of got triggered by Varus's comment about the common folk yeah um it was a bit of a throwback to when you know the that Illyria used to feed to her brother Viserys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's the only thing I could think is it just kind of triggered something in her. You know, maybe she didn't really go into that meeting thinking, let me interrogate Varys, but when he said that, it just kind of it, it struck a nerve or something like that. Yeah, um, That what I do like about that whole thing is you had confirmation, first of all, and we already knew this, but it was kind of maybe a reminder that Varys was already... Varys was already right there the whole time from the beginning, plotting to overthrow the Baratheons with the Targaryen, uh, working with Ilario, uh, backing Viserys to uh, get him on the Iron Throne. And it wasn't – and he even says that it wasn't until you uh, turned the situation with the Dothraki around that we, did, that we started to notice you. And really probably what he meant was it wasn't until your brother was crowned with a, with a molten lava cake over his head that, that – uh, we decided to back the other Targaryen, but whatever. I'm, I, what I respected more about that scene, and I kind of like what Isis said, is Varys stood up to Daenerys. He could, she could have had Grey Worm kill him right there, like he said. She could have fed him to her dragons, and he still stood up to her, which you know, props, mad props to Varys on that. But then we move from that scene right well, into. Can I, can I add something real quick? Yeah, I just wanted to say that the look on Tyrion's face was utter fear at what was going on between Varys and Danny. Like he was like, "Holy shit! How do I freaking save this this situation from escalating?" And um, and the fact that I felt really good that he didn't really interfere too much and just let them hash it out. Because him and Varys are bros. He felt bad for his bro. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, he, he, he wants to honor his queen, but at the same time, I mean, this is the guy who saved him, who got him out of um, King's Landing and, and, and owes him, you know, and 
I don't think he's sober, but at least, you know, it has him functioning alcoholic, you know, wise. But <laughs> um, but it, it, you just the look of terror on Tyrion's face kind of like it made me love him even more because he, he, he's not just all about himself. He really genuinely cares about these people. Well, uh, Corey Thone, I was going to ask you this. Uh, we As soon as this scene was over... We went into meeting Melisandre and Danny for the first time. Their their first meeting together, and then this is where we hear like people who've been watching Game of Thrones since season one, or that have been reading the books since a Game of Thrones, the very first book and A Song of Ice and Fire, have always they've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see the interaction between Daenerys and Jon Snow. And last night she said his name for the first time ever in the history of the show. It was kind of surreal. But then the whole time that she's talking about Jon Snow, Tyrion's there advising her, I know him, he's a good guy. Uh, what did you think about that scene where Daenerys is for the first time told about this this new king in the north who is basically a bastard? Uh, I think that she... <laughs> I think that she's got really high um, opinion of herself because of those dragons and her army and everything. And I, yeah. I don't think she'll be quite as sharp tongued with John now that her navy is gone. And I, you know, when she commanded Tyrion or whatever to send a letter and make tell him to bend the knee, yeah. And it's like <laughs> it's like, you know, hospitality. You know, at the door with a, a sword is going to lead to a pretty, you know, unhospitable environment around her. She, yeah. the, the, and this is what Tyrion and Varys, I'm sure, are going to emphasize. They already kind of did with, like, you don't need to burn King's Landing to the ground. And, and I agree with that. I don't agree, obviously, with the idea of let's just sell our boats up and down the coast, like, a lot, and we'll be fine, right? Terrible plan. But it really was. Well, I guess they didn't know that Euron and Cersei had sided together, but still. Anyway, they knew Euron was after Yara and Theon for sure. Anyway, uh, but I do think they're right. You know, let's try not to kill so many people. Let's try to, um, you know, take just use our, I guess, size of our army. We have the only air force in Westeros, and we also have a big navy and lots of infantry. So, you know, the last time that a Stark came to see a new Targaryen with dragons and stuff, the Stark just bent the knee out of, like, well, I don't want to see so many thousand people die, right? So there's right. no point in fighting this battle. She is like, and, and you can see Tyrion was thinking, this is a little pointed. He left that out of the letter he sent, by the way, the whole bend the knee thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that was great. <laughs> but uh, it was it was an interesting scene for sure to see. Uh, you could see, I think it's interesting too with Melisandre that she is a little less, prophecies are dangerous, she says, after burning a child at the stake. <laughs> so I... <laughs> Thanks for being glad cautious. To see that, glad to see that she's learned some lessons throughout this Game of Thrones. That there's, <laughs> you know, burning a kid at, uh, alive doesn't mean you're going to win, you know, the the throne game. So, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, let's also not forget that she burned multiple people while she was at Dragonstone in order to, like, <laughs> pump up Stannis and made him a fake sword that he called Lightbringer. And it. Like, she's pulled out all the tricks to back the one horse in the race she thought was the prince that was promised, I guess. But uh, we got Corey Smith. Before we leave this scene, um, we got confirmation last night 
that the the high Valyrian verbiage, the noun, has no gender. That's something that's been a book thing only. Like we've only talked about that in the books. That's been multiple topics uh, on the A Song of Ice and Fire Reddit thread. Like, you know, who is the prince that was promised? Is it really a could it could it, is it a neutral uh, per, uh, whatever noun? And everybody just kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about. It. Well, finally last night we got the confirmation from Asande that the prince could be the princess. So how'd that feel hearing that on the show? Yeah, how uh, pissed do you think Stannis would be if he found out he died because of a grammar mistake? <laughs> you know, he was told he was told that he's the prince that w- was promised, and then you know, one person that speaks high, high Valerian is like, actually, it could mean princess. It's a gender neutral uh, word. You know, Social like, justice warrior bullcrap. Gender <laughs> yes. neutral. You know, Westerosi. House Bill 2 says you pee in the bathroom that the light of God of Light gave you your gender for. <laughs> They're turning the dragons gay! <laughs> chemtrails. The dragons are dropping chemtrails in the sky. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, but I mean, yeah, I, I love that. I love that you said that, Corey Smith. Yeah, uh, Stannis well, is just, rolling over in his grave right yeah. now. Yeah, Stan's rolling over in his grave because he's like, motherfucker, that, you know, you told me all this shit. I burned my freaking, you know, daughter. My wife hung herself and then I died, you know, outside Winterfell for basically no reason. Uh, so, yeah, no, but I, I mean, other than that, it was it was cool to kind of see Masande in the background, you know, actually and, you know, change what we all thought of that. Because everybody's always assumed the prince that was promised could be Danny or John. Those were the two kind of primary candidates but obviously the john you know supporters were always saying well it says prince and not princess etc cetera, etc cetera. so now we really don't know which one of them is you know kind of the savior of the world john's been brought back from the dead but danny has dragons so i don't know it's well kinda, melisandre's thought, thinking something because she's like i believe another has a role to play but uh you know there's i have to I have to say something real quick. I feel like the fact that even though John freaking threw her out of the north, she still has his back. Like she's like she's kind of solid on him. I mean, she turns up like a bad penny. But I'm just saying that you know, and, and I don't know if you guys caught that, but the look on Barry's face, he is not about her either. You know that other red woman um, that was, um, oh my gosh, that he met up with with Tyrion, um, Canarva. Yeah, we don't know her name. They said her yeah. name like once. So they, I'm not yeah, gonna she argue. was on the episode for one time. <laughs> anyway, that Heffa, he didn't like her either. And then when he saw Masande, uh, Masande, sorry, Melisandre, he was he was not feeling her at all, at all. And um, and but I I feel like that you know Danny she put really him in his place was, though. She did, but I'm just saying that I feel like. You know, this is definitely a situation where if uh, Melisandre stays there for any amount of time, and especially if Jon Snow sh- arrives, some some shit might get popping. I know. That would be exciting, too. I can't wait to see how that goes down. But, uh, you know, there's got to be like a sheer moment of terror panicking through Melisandre's head. Like, wait a second. You mean a girl can be the prince that was promised? Shit, did I burn Shireen, the only one that could have been the other one? Oh, damn. I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, going over to John in the north, and he receives the summons from Daenerys, and it's written by uh, Tyrion, 
and uh, he has that little line about uh, dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. And that that's a callback to season one when he and John met for the first time outside the Great Hall of Winterfell, and John's being all morose and emo, and he's practicing swords because he's mad that he didn't get to stay in the hall, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he and Tyrion struck up a friendship. And this is kind of what has lasted throughout the years. They call each other friends. Um, Sansa says that John treated him well. I mean, Sansa says that Tyrion treated him well when, he, when they were together. And so John's got some kind of a respect for Tyrion, even after all this time. Tyrion obviously respects John. So, but then what, the funny part about that whole scene was that Davos makes the connection that dragons breathe fire. Right? Like, yeah, can I bitch about that scene? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Because this episode had had several moments in it that made me roll my eyes. Okay. Like, it wasn't my favorite episode in the world. I know that it's, like, blasphemy right now because everybody has a boner for this episode. How but, dare you? Yeah, I, it was – wait wait a minute now. You <laughs> Are you telling me that dragons breathe fire? Uh, yeah, I am, Davos. And didn't you tell me that fire kills White Walkers? You know, yeah, I did tell you that, Davos. Whoa. Peanut butter and chocolate. Like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? We don't need that type of exposition in this show. Trust me, we understand dragons breathe fire and can kill White Walkers. How in the hell has nobody made that connection in their own? But I understand that they had just found out she had dragons in the show, and they were able to get that out in like two lines. And me bitching about it is being very, very like picky. But I, I seriously, my eyes got stuck. I was looking at my brain. I rolled my <laughs> eyes so hard at that scene. Oh, my God. Like, between that and Huron's, like, insane metal show he put on on, a, on the boat, I just, uh, I had a lot of, like, eye-rolling moments. Anyway, sorry. Oh, my God, dude. We'll, we'll get to Huron at the very end. Obviously, there are some differing, differing opinions on that, but, uh... Yeah, um, that was kind of a funny moment. In fact, we were talking in our, our work group chat, and we were all like, yeah, you're just now figuring that out, Davos? Come on, buddy. And then, you know, you you make a good point. You don't need to hit us over the head by telling us every time something big happens. We do get it. Um, so we go from the north quickly over to King's Landing, and Cersei is holding court in the Iron Throne Room, and she's telling everybody – how bad a person the the dragon queen is, you know, she's a Targaryen, which means she's instantly bad, right? Because the last Targaryen, you know, burned everybody alive, and she's his daughter, blah, blah, blah. But the good thing about – the cool thing about this scene is um, Daenerys – not sorry, I'm sorry, Daenerys. Cersei is talking directly to Randall Tarly and the new dick on Tarly, which is Tom Hooper. Is it Hooper or Hopper? I probably – Got that wrong, but from Black Sails. He, he, he played on Black Sails, but now he's replaced the old Dickon, and uh, they're talking, and he steps forward and is talking about how, you know, she's got three full-grown dragons. What do we do? And Cersei gives that sly look to Kyburn, who, by the way, I don't know if you guys noticed this, Kyburn is Cersei's hand of the queen. He had the pin on his, his robe, which is pretty neat. And then the next thing we have, Jamie talking to, to, to Randall Tarly. And this is where it kind of gets funny because when he walks up to Randall, Corey Smith, he's like, oh, and you're, uh, you're, you're Rickon Tarly? Or, and he goes, Dickon. And the look on Jay, Jamie's face is like, oh, okay. 
So what did you yeah, think Jamie, about that? I I thought the whole scene was kind of, you know, it seemed like uh, Jamie and Cersei hired uh, some new publicists or something because they were all charm and, you know, trying to get everybody on their side. And it was kind of, they weren't bullying anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like normally they, they bully people. Oh, you have to serve me or I'll destroy you. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah, Jamie, other than the, the Rick on Dick on, uh, comment, he was totally, you know, charming Randall Tarley. And it was kind of interesting because the, you know, the last time we saw Randall Tarley, he was being an absolute ass, uh, to his son, Sam. Um, and when we saw him with Jamie, we almost kind of liked Randall. I mean, I, I, that was the impression I got. Um, you know, he, he, he doesn't want to break his oath to Olana Tyrell. He talks about being loyal, how his, his house name means something. And not like in, a, in a, like an arrogant, I'm better than you way. He's just saying, you know, my name means something and I don't break my oaths easily. You know what I mean? So and then he, he gets super almost, racist against uh, Dothraki and Unsullied. <laughs> he does, and Jamie, Jamie, and Cersei are playing the right card there. You know, they're they're talking about foreign invaders, and they're trying to unite everybody against these foreign invaders. And it's you know, it it was an interesting kind of scene because they were actually smart in that scene instead of just you know bullying people and trying to you know, bowl him over with force, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I liked that. I thought it was a great scene, you know, for everybody that was in it. So Isis, I know you had some thoughts on this. Yeah, I had a couple of things. Um, yeah, it was, su- it got super racist there. Um, they knew how to exploit, um, you know, the uh, Dick on <laughs> Darley. And I thought that was really incredible. But something that, you know, we were talking about last week on the episode, and now I'm not trying to bring up, other stuff or whatever but when you see jamie and cersei when they have disagreements and they talk to each other it's just them but at the end of the day they go ahead and say okay this is what we're doing whether jamie really agrees with it or not this is what we're going to do and they go and execute that plan whether it's together or separate you know like he was just doing in this episode separately he brought this guy to the side, talked to him, you know, played on his prejudices and and things like that to get him to do what he what Cersei wants at the end. Um, I think that if Sansa really wants to be a player in this game and if she wants to, you know, really support Jon, that's something that she's going to have to learn. And I feel like that is what a lot of the I don't want to say the hate, but the frustration from fans of the show have with Sansa and I'm again I'm not trying to bring up anything about Sansa hate or whatever the case may be well no 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 Uh, you have a good point you have a good point it's just something that in this episode was very noticeable to see the way Cersei and Jaime work together uh, as a team for for her goal and her end goal whether Jaime agrees with it or not and he's vocal with her about that uh, a matter of fact, I, it reminds me of last week of when Euron was there, and you know, at the, in, the the entire time he was poking jabs at Euron, but never at his sister, never, never. And so I feel like this is just another element to where Jamie and Cersei have been at this for many years, and they just 
all you know they know how to make this work okay uh, well here's the, here's the thing about jamie and cersei is and let's go ahead and get right into i know we might be skipping around a little bit but let's get right into that um there is absolutely a complete difference between uh the king's landing how they run things the, the lannisters and how the north is being run right now and i think it's a great chance to talk about it because once again you have john he gets he gets the raven from sam he sees there's dragon glass and dragon stone and so he calls a meeting of his lords and last night i saw something that it kind of hit on me john runs his his kingdom his meetings with all the lords he runs it kind of like a roman senate basically he's sitting in in the high chair and both sides are talking and giving their opinions. You don't see that anywhere else on Game of Thrones. Like nobody talks back to Daenerys. Nobody's talking about talking back to Cersei. The people who talked back to Daenerys, she actually did a pretty good job at her war meeting, like listening to their problems. But there wasn't this constant bickering and arguing against what she was saying. She made a point, and they she she asked everybody to accept it, and they moved on. Whereas you're right, you're absolutely right. John brings up. That he's traveling north, and not only not only did uh, Sansa get up and stay, say her point, and she really was not having that he was leaving, but you even had for the first time Corey Phone, your girl stood up and was like, "Winter is here, my lord, or my great, your grace. We need the king of the north here." And this was in the face of uh, uh, Bronze Yon Royce, who got up and said. Targaryens are not going to be trusted, and we got that great shot of Jon Snow in the face, Jon Targaryen, and um, and of course the other lords that grumble and growl every time Jon wants to do something. So, how'd you feel about your girl um, Bella Ramsey as uh, Lyanna Mormont, kind of going against her king a little bit in this episode? I mean, a little. She spoke her piece, said, "I, you know, I think you should stay here in the north with us," and he he gave his reasoning why, and she. Uh, back down. I she mean, seemed to I don't think she it. was. I don't think she was necessarily happy with it, but she understood that he was, you know, pretty emphatic and wanting to do it. Uh, meanwhile, for the second episode in a row, Sansa just doesn't shut her mouth. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, it's like she doesn't get it. Yeah, it's almost like she doesn't get it, which is why. And, and I actually have an article going up on Show Snob probably tomorrow. I bet about. How Sansa's going to be faced with a choice now that she's queen in the north, uh, <laughs> where basically Littlefinger's going to make his move, and she's going to have to pick between power and family, and I think she's going to pick family, but I wouldn't be surprised if she picked power accidentally, maybe. I, I don't know. Just because just she blunders through her. everything? Yeah, I don't <laughs> trust her. I wouldn't trust her with, with anything at all, and I certainly not to leave her in charge, but that's the first time somebody is legitimately – that's the thing with Sansa is that she's been passed around as a trophy from the Baratheons to the Boltons, whatever, and you know her whole life has been – she's the eldest, she's pretty, she's going to make a good wife, and that's kind of been her role, and she's had a hard time – breaking out of it and when she does it's like almost lashing out it's, it's true. feeding a man two dogs or <laughs> um, <laughs> talking back to john a bunch getting snippy and bringing up joffrey all that stuff so i think she's gonna this is the first time that she's been given the opportunity to truly make decisions that have Im- that will impact everyone not just herself you know and based off her you know, past record of decision making, she is going to screw it up. But I think that she's not. I think she'll do it 
she might actually do the, a good job this time in Winterfell because I mean I honestly don't think Littlefinger is long for this show. I think he's got two episodes left tops. I agree hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you on that one. And two episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, but it'll be it'll be before the I, the finale. It would be the yeah. episode before the finale. See, okay, so to me, and, and I, I agree, he's not long for the show. I think he's he's overstepping his bounds in a million ways. And I think when the other Starks, if they start showing up in Winterfell, which we'll get to in a minute, once Arya, I mean, once Sansa starts having more backup, I think she's going to feel more and more free of Littlefinger's influence. You know what I mean? When she's got other, you know, family in her ear besides John. And I don't think Littlefinger makes it out of the season, but some, I, I just feel like his death would be so such a big deal for the show because he's been in it since the beginning that it wouldn't happen until the finale. What about, what about Lord Bolton from last finale. season? Bruce Bolton Lord, got, yeah, Lord, okay, but Bruce quick. Bolton, yeah, Bruce Bolton shares maybe a, a quarter of the has a quarter of the episodes that Littlefinger appears in, and even the ones he's in, he only had one or two lines. I mean, Littlefinger is one of the biggest characters remaining on the show. He's got one of the longest, you know, story arcs. But you he also actually has to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I mean, and I I, under, I completely understand what you're saying, but I feel like when the last the last episode is the setup for the beginning of the last season. And I really feel like that is going to, you know, that's going to lead us into that. I think we, they, they, they use that ep- second episode, second to the last episode, basically kind of trying to tie up any loose ends. And then the last episode is going to be set up for the last season. I, I sincerely yeah. feel that way. And, and that's why I'm saying that I feel like, you know, Sansa's going to have to deal with Littlefinger it, at the very, at the very, you know, the soonest I would hope next se- next episode uh, while John is gone. But if not, then she will probably go ahead and handle Littlefinger herself, or in some kind of capacity, make the decision uh, to off him. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed of Brienne killing him and her being there, you know, um, to to see it happen or whatever um, at, at, on her orders. But I, I really feel like, especially because the accelerated rate pace that we're going on this season, that and I'm, uh, I really feel like it's going to be the second to the last episode that it's going to happen. Last episode is going to be set up. I agree. For, but what yeah. about what about the fact that here's a question for you is is Littlefinger is that Sansa's kill alone or does that belong to everybody in the Stark family for what he did betraying the family? Like, I, yeah. Would you feel okay having Arya do it? I really or, go, yeah. go ahead. Any of them? Any of them? They all. I mean, he caused. He contributed to Ned's death. So any of them? Any of the remaining Stark children, including John, I think uh, I'd be fine with killing Littlefinger because they they, they all suffered. From him to certain degrees, you could argue Sansa's probably suffered the most just because Littlefinger sold her to the Boltons, but they all suffered due to to Littlefinger's treachery, so any of them could do it. Well, and this is the way I feel about it, is the way that he looks at Sansa is the way that he looked at at, uh, Sansa's mom, and having Sansa do it, it's almost like Kat doing it. 
That would me. be poetic. It would be it would be poetic because he talks about how much she looks like her mother, how much she acts like her mother, you know, all these different things. And Sansa's just the next next best thing um, to Cat, you know, basically. She's like the fill in, if you will. And I feel that's, that it would be that's definitely- why I think that Brienne's gonna do it. It's because Brienne was tasked with protecting Sansa and from Sansa's yeah. gonna command Brienne to do it. And Brienne will do it, and that'll be the end of it. And Brienne it'll be is like, the connection hey, between her mom and Sansa. I, that's, that's my thought, is that it's going to be Brienne, and it's going to be Sansa's call almost exclusively. Like, I don't even know. I, I, I don't know. I don't even know if any other Starks are in Winterfell when it happens. I think he's going to make his move quick, and he's gonna his whole plan is going to hinge on Sansa doing his bit, like, wanting to be queen, wanting to... To have the power, wanting to take over and be in charge now that John's gone, and plan on when John gettings back, John gets back to you know let him know oh you you've lost all this power or whatever to use his his um, veil riders what are they called Knights of the Veil yeah to use them uh, to ride south and and you know take on Cersei or whatever. Like that, his I don't know what his plan is going to be, but it's all going to hinge on Sansa having to take part in it, and I think she's going to trick him and us in the process into thinking that she's going along with it, and then uh, betray him the same way he betrayed Ned, and Brienne is going to remove his head. And <laughs> oh, that's poetic. Well, the yeah. first the first trick she laid on us last night was she was all up in arms about John leaving until he named her. His the governor of the north in his in his stead, like he basically said, "You'll rule the north in my stead," and she shut up. And even a a slight, just the smallest of a smile showed up on her face, and it was like, "Ooh, Sansa, why you do this? You know, don't do this. I'm I'm really trying to give you a chance here, Corey Smith. I'm gonna get to you in a second because I have a question for you too. Uh, but that's that's something that really bothered me and. Before we go, before I go back to you, Corey Smith, because I'll let you talk back talk about your topic here. But in the crypts, even even Littlefinger overstepped his bounds in the crypts, and he wasn't supposed to be there. John told him right off the bat, "You're not, you don't belong down here," and that really was just like, man. And then he's like, "You, you know, I, I think you would be nice." And it's like, dude, are you trying to antagonize him to put a sword through your throat? I don't understand what's going on here. And and you know. But before we get to that, Corey Smith, what did you feel about Ned's statue being in the crypts below and Littlefinger basically confirming that his bones are there too? Yeah, that was um, – I mean that was kind of – you know, touched the old uh, heartstrings there because it, it really did look like Ned, uh, the statue. Yeah, like Sean um, Bean. You t- yeah, you could tell immediately who that was. Um, and you know, in the books, they leave uh, the mystery of where Ned's remains are. Uh, it's, you know, nobody really knows. They they get sent north, and we never hear from them again. So it was cool to see his his remains there, um, and you know, to see John kind of going down there before he left because uh, I guess he assumes it's a, what he's you know he's leaving is dangerous, and he might not come back. So. I, and then, you know, Littlefinger, here's the thing with Littlefinger. 
I thought when last season, when he confessed his love for Sansa, part of me thought, okay, this is just Littlefinger, you know, trying to con Sansa. You know, he's just, he doesn't really care about anything but getting on the Iron Throne. And he's just trying to use emotion to kind of connect with Sansa. But as, you know, the first two episodes, we've seen him get the cold shoulder from Sansa, get slammed up against the wall by Jon. And it, it really is starting to seem like he actually does love Sansa. And for once, his emotions are kind of overruling his logic and his, you know, he's always been a great player of the Game of Thrones, right? Right. He's he's never been, he never makes a stupid move. He always makes a smart move. He's always two steps ahead, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, here he is screwing up royally, you know, for no reason that I can see. Like, why would you piss off John? Why would you piss off Sansa? You know right. what I mean? It, it it doesn't make any sense unless what he's doing, he's doing it from actual emotions, which we all know can lead us, you know, to do stuff we don't doesn't necessarily make sense. So, I, I guess I'm convinced now. Littlefinger does actually love Sansa or have feelings for her, and that's what's leading him to be, you know, to screw up so much so far. He did the same thing to Ned, though. He remember he he came up to Ned and started talking trash a little bit, being caddy yeah, and put hands sure. on him and that's what i mean the thing is that's what prompted Littlefinger to betray ned was getting pissed off that ned choked him and was with cat like but that's, like but what is but i i guess i'm just saying like provoking john does Littlefinger no good you know what i mean like well, he knows john uh, is leaving the north so he's like this guy's this guy's actually leaving and that gives me an end once this guy's gone sure but to me like why not just leave it as it is like just say something to the effect of hey we'll be here while you're gone you know take care of your business like why piss off john before he leaves i I feel like it was i feel like it was a he's feeling out john for multiple things is he does he get angry easily is he still emotional does he actually hate me does he know anything about me you know and my and sansa like by saying what he said about sansa to john got an immediate reaction out of John, right? Right. So now he knows that he can use Sansa as leverage. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what he's doing is he's feeling out John by basically hitting as many buttons as he can without getting killed. <laughs> and that's that's what he's do- the the problem is that he doesn't know I don't feel like Littlefinger understands just how pissed off Sansa is at him. And he thinks that he can talk his way back into her good graces but she truly hates him i think and it's going to be his downfall like you were saying Corey, is that he truly does he put it all on the table for her and said i I, i'm in love with you this is what i want because what good is a you know what good is a king without a queen right so that's what he wants he told her that and and like you said i believe what he said is true sansa knows that and she's learned enough from Cersei and John and Ramsey and whoever else and seen the mistakes and everything else that she's not going to trust him outside of knowing that's what he wants. And that's going to be his downfall is banking on Sansa because that's what he wants more than anything else is Sansa and the throne. So 
He was using his cunning yeah. to test out John last night as well. Using so. his cunning. Plus, he uses a plus seven uh, <laughs> cloak of <laughs> persuasion. And... <laughs> roll your 20-sided die. Okay. Um, to bank Sansa, you have to roll above a 26. Can you do it? Do you have the charisma? No. All right. No. <laughs> um, so let's let's – Oh, by the way, before we leave this topic, uh, oh Christ, how much work can we say about this? Did you know that they cut a scene with Ghost, John and Ghost, last night? To uh, yeah, what I guess what the hell is that about? That pisses me off more than anything yeah. else that happens in this show. Is why are you cutting Ghost? He is, I. This is where I'm starting to book rage out. Like I've always loved the Dire Wolves. It's been one of my favorite parts of of Game of Thrones. Even in the books, I love all the Dire Wolves. They all have a big part to play with their with their different Starks, and it just it annoys me to no end that in a show where, and we'll talk about this later, we got one Dire Wolf. Why not just go ahead and show the other Dire Wolf, and why not have him and John have a nice partying moment? Like, hey, boy, uh, stay here and protect Sansa. People want to see Ghost. Like, he's like yeah. the really the last remaining Dire Wolf. Even though Nymeria is out there, and we know that now, she's not really a, t- a tame Dire Wolf. She's she's wild. She has her own thing to do. Blah blah blah. Show some more Ghost, man. I get it. You have a big CGI. Uh, they budget. had to have more time. They had to have enough time to no. fit in. All of that Grey Worm and Masandi stuff. No, no. <laughs> Super important to everything. I think if, if I, I think because they said they filmed it, so it wasn't a it wasn't a money thing. They filmed the scene. It wasn't like cut before they you know started filming. I yeah. think that the, the only reason I can think is that it it sort of takes away from the weight of John visiting Ned's crypt before he left. Because if he goes on this sort of tour where he's, he says goodbye to Ghost, he says goodbye to Ned, he says goodbye to Sansa, then it just it starts to kind of all take, you know, it's it's a little bit too much. It was a much uh, better scene having him charged out of the crypts all pissed off and getting on yeah, the horse. Yeah, I mean, that, that being said, I, yeah, I would have loved to have seen Ghost. He could have just, like, stroked his head as he left, or, you know, we could have seen Ghost trotting across the yard. Because, yeah, where the hell is that wolf? We haven't seen him since John was brought back from the dead. So, um, but, yeah, I think that's pro- that would be my guess, is they just thought it was it, it got a little heavy-handed as far as him saying goodbye to, you know, everybody. So that would be my guess. Let's go. Let's go uh, now to the Citadel um, and ISIS. It's your favorite. Uh, Sam ha- does something gross moments, uh, but before he before he tries to heal Sir Jorah, um, he's in this. He's in, actually in the cell with Sir Jorah Mormont. Sir Friendzone's there. Uh, Maester Ebros is there, and they're looking at Jorah Mormont, who looks so much worse than we had ever imagined. Like that grayscale looks. Awful. What do you think yeah, about that? What do you think about yeah, that, that stuff? That psoriasis is really Westrosi psoriasis is uh, has is very clearly advanced um, from the little you know patch that he had on his like forearm or whatever the case may be. Uh, I mean, it has moved on to his chest. Um, I mean, I, I have a feeling that he probably wishes that he would have cut off his arm. Uh, the maester has basically said. There's nothing we can do for you. We're going to go ahead, you know, you, in, you have your last 24 hours here, and then we're going to set you sail to that little island where you got uh, that psoriasis on your skin. Oh, Valeria. And, yeah, so they're, they're you know, ready to ship him off and, and be done with him. And, and Sam, God, God love that man. Sam is like, well, I, I, 
isn't there some information about, you know, how we can cure it and everything? And there, he, the guy's, like, looking at him like, no, N- no. I mean, there's nothing we can do for him and is ready to set sail. But, of course, Sam, being the good guy that he is, cannot leave well enough alone. He is going to help out Sir Friendzone get rid of this horrible psoriasis that he has all over his body. And um, I have a feeling that in doing that, that we're going to find out maybe some more secrets about how this psoriasis uh, is going to maybe help um, maybe with this fight that we're going to have with the White Walkers. You think now, you think the grayscale is actually a benefit in the fight? There's got to be a reason why this grayscale topic has come up. I don't feel like it's just to throw this little side story out there. So come bear with me in my tinfoil hat theory. And I, I feel, feel like we need like... to play like some separate music in this time for Isis's tinfoil hat <laughs> corner. Yeah, and this is only going to happen once in a while. I think this is the only time it's ever happened. Um, I really do feel that, you know, all this talk and all this time we have spent on grayscale, that it, there has to be a reason for it. It just can't be, oh, you know, we have this grayscale and, and we may be able to cure it with, uh, with dragon, Dragonstone, right? Is that what it, I'm sorry. I'm losing it here. Um, <laughs> what is it? The the, uh, the dragon glass. Sorry, dragon glass. Right? Well, is that correct? Well, no. You don't cure. You don't cure grayscale with dragon glass. Isn't it? Hold on. Um, well, no. There was the uh, uh, can we, there was that passage in the book last week though, where if you like zoomed in on the text, they said there was some there was something on there about dragon glass possibly being a cure for grayscale. I did not yeah. catch that. Thank you for educating yeah. me. Okay. Okay. Pro- I was about to say, I was like, did I, did I say something wrong? It was, because I rely on you guys to tell me. No, things. it was something about ingesting And it's not a hundred percent clear, but it's on the same page as, as where they're talking about dragon glass. And there's a, there's a part about ingestion and grayscale, et cetera, et cetera. So it, I don't think you're that far off. I assume. Well, and- and then not only that, but wasn't um, uh, Sanus' daughter was there at, um, you know, on the island. At Dragonstone, where, yes. At, with right. all the, the, the dragon glass around them. So I'm assuming that the reason why it stopped spreading was because she was around all that dragon glass. She was treated by, aggressively by Maester Crescent. Well, and that too. But, I mean, I'm just saying that, you know. I think there – just follow me for a second. I okay. feel like there's some kind of uh, correlation with the, the dragon uh, glass, and this might also help. It, and again, tinfoil hat theory that maybe if you have the uh, Westerosi uh, psoriasis, that it may prevent you from turning into one of the undead. Oh. Ah. Maybe. But I mean I'm just okay, – again. Now- Oh, we've got the tinfoil on. That, that's my tinfoil hat right there, is that there has to be a bigger reason uh, why this, this uh, you know, the whole thing with Jorah Mormont and, and the, the psoriasis and all this stuff going on. There has to be a bigger reason because this guy having this and possibly, and if there's no real cure for it, 
then fucking t- send him to the damn island already and let's be done with him. I mean, I'm serious. Like, if there's no, like, this is not going to progress our story forward at all, then why are we in the second to the last season with only a couple of episodes still dealing with this shit? So I have to believe that there is a bigger plan for this, you know, uh, Westrosi psoriasis that is going to come to play with the whites. It that could just be something that showed how how Samwell is is progressing so rapidly in his studies as a maester. I mean, he's going to heal Jorah. Let's let's just all say that. I mean, it looks like it looks for all practical intents and purposes he's going to heal Jorah. So, uh, and and let's talk about that scene. By the way, I'm not sure if like I've watched Dragonstone the first episode of the season. I've probably watched it about six times now, and every time I get to the poop montage, I have to fast forward. I just cannot watch it. I can't do it. It's just I don't have the constitution. But um, what do you guys think about the transition from Sam breaking the crust of the Dragonstone of the of the Grayscale into the the pot the pie? That was kind of gross, right, Corey Thone? Yeah, it was dumb as shit. I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting tired of the show's gross montages and stuff. It's unnecessary. I don't understand what like got up at their brain about like, oh, let's you know, this season let's see if we can make people throw up while they're watching the show because it's already <laughs> such an uplifting thing. It's uh it's crazy. I mean, in and of itself it's fine, but that's two episodes in a row. What's gonna happen the third week? Is Sam gonna have to like dig uh, something out of some guy's ass, and we're gonna have to watch that, and then it's gonna transition into like a birth somewhere else. Like what? What is happening? Why? When did the show get slapsticky? I don't understand, but they're doing it, and it's it's an it's enough. It's like I don't need. It's like we don't need that. That is time away from actually progressing the story. And honestly, as gross as this week was. Uh, at least him cutting the stuff off of Mormont was like part of the story. I don't think the montage last week was really needed. I don't know, man. I'm just a prick. I'm being a prick about this episode. It was, it was because the thing is, I'm gonna bitch about this episode and have a lot of stuff in it. But the fact is, people moved more and the story progressed more in this episode than the last one. But and I'm the guy that's like move the story along. But I actually didn't like this episode as much as the first one. So maybe I'm just a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. You, you are totally hypocrite. are. Cool, but, great, awesome. Love you guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but let's move past that gross pie segue into uh, Arya, and we got the true prince that was promised, Hot Pie, shows up <laughs> out of nowhere, and it was uh, a reunion long, long sought after and long awaited. But uh, he just casually says, Ari, and it's like, oh, Hey, I know I haven't seen you since, you know, you we escaped the Dreadfort together, and hey, look, we're friends, and let's sit here and talk, and it was kind of cool, kind of neat. Um, I know somebody made a comment, and maybe it was you, Isis, on Twitter, maybe it was somebody else, but somebody said Arya was doing her best the Hound impersonation while she was sitting there eating her pie. She was staring straight forward, she was going ham on the pie, like she was just... Eating like that? Yeah, yeah, Corey Smith's right. Where the hell did she learn to eat like that? She was just, like, no manners whatsoever, just going to town on the pie, and then, not not hot pie, the actual pie she's eating, and then 
She just says, oh, whoa. Oh, boom, boom, okay. boom. That's another show. That's an- <laughs> she's waiting. She's saving herself for Gendry. We all know that. Anyway, um, but yeah, that, that, that happened, man. Like, she's just straight up, I don't know, wild. And I like that. That's what Arya has always been. She's wild. She's untamed. But um, the feels that I got, like the feels hit me, is whenever Hot Pie tells her that John... The ha- John won the Battle of Bastards. It was almost like he watched the show last season and was giving <laughs> giving Arya a recap of the show from last season. Yeah, your brother John came down from the wall and he won the Battle of the Bastards. And he might as well have said in episode nine. Uh, but it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, no, I love the fact that he was like, yeah, and he had a whole wildling army and like, like he had gotten the cliff notes of the, you know, the high, the news highlight reel or something like that. It was absolutely incredible. I loved, I loved Hot Pie. He's so flippin' adorable. I loved the part when he said, friends don't pay. You know, it was just, it was just so, so sweet. And it was like that little sweetness that we needed. And I really feel like. He called her pretty. He called her pretty. he did. Uh, I feel like I've been vindicated because I, I've been saying that if Arya knew that her family was alive, that she would go immediately back home. If right. she knew her family was home. And, and I, I got a lot of pushback about it um, from this podcast. They will remain normla- nameless, Smith. Um, and, <laughs> you know, basically saying I don't believe that- I ever said that. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Uh, but I did remember, you know, saying it and people saying, oh, no, 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 no. Um, she she knows about it. She would have heard about it by now but with her travels and blah, blah, blah. This proves that she did not know about it and now that she is on her way home. And it really showed that her humanity is still there. Yeah, she may be sitting there eating like the hound and she may be freaking killing the whole Frey family and stuff like that. But at her core... When it comes time to choose between her family and her vengeance, she's going to choose her family every single time, and I loved it. And you could see, like, the cloud lift from her eyes, and she was just happy of this news and going straight home. And that's why Sansa's going to do the same thing, because they were both raised by Ned Stark. Anyway, good, good point. Ice, great point. <laughs> I, I, think you're, I think you're 100%. Thank you for backing up my point earlier with another example of a Stark choosing family over other stuff for the right reasons, because they were raised that way. But I, uh, I agree 100% with what you're saying, and that was, a, uh, that was my favorite scene in the whole show was Arya doing a hound impersonation, which whoever said that on Twitter, was it was it Smith that said that on Twitter? It, it no, wasn't I'm not, me. I'm not that clever. Okay. No. Well, whoever it was was 100% right. When I read it or read it later, maybe, I, I was like, holy crap, she was. She even was doing like the the inside jokes with herself that nobody else would get. <laughs> yeah, she was I made pies. Not, <laughs> not looking anybody in the eye. She uh, was drinking ale. Which I mean, he was like, "You got any ale?" You know, it's like, uh, didn't it? <laughs> you didn't, got any ale? Exactly. Yeah, it was like, it was a definite hound. Like that's what when she thinks of like someone, because she kind of looks up to the hound the same way that Sansa kind of looks up to Cersei, even though they don't like them. And that was her idea of what it takes to survive in Westeros. And then the moment that <laughs> Hot Pie is like, oh, but your family's like alive and shit back home. She was like, what? A total <laughs> really, change really came sweet. over her. She went yeah. from badass was, robot to like 
put, putty in his hands. Yeah, basically. it was really sweet, actually. I thought it was cute. So it was, uh, it was a great scene. I love the fact that Hot Pie, before she leaves, she's like, we're survivors. He's like, he gives a little sniff, like, I'm a badass too, Ari. We're survivors. Okay. Yeah, he is kind of a survivor. He used his skill about baking bread to survive at the end of the crossroads, which was kind of cool. I, I give all props to Hot Pie, and I, I don't think – I personally don't think we'll see him again, but if we do, it would be awesome because I love that kid. Uh, let's go straight to the fact that Arya is in the woods next, and she's camping in the woods, and her horse is getting skittish. And this is a moment we all kind of thought was going to happen, but the wolves surround her, and this gigantic – Dire Wolf, probably the largest Dire Wolf we've seen since Grey Wind, the Dire Wolf of Rob Stark, shows up on the rock above her or whatever, a snow mound, whatever you want to call it, and starts snarling at her. And she approaches this Dire Wolf, and we all know that it's Nymeria. We all know instantly this is Nymeria, and she puts her sword down and starts talking to Nymeria and telling her that, hey, it's me, Arya. I'm going home. Please come with me. And what got me right in the freaking feels is the fact that the camera kept getting closer and closer to Nymeria's face. And the change came over Nymeria. Like she really went from snarling, defensive, dire wolf, I'm going to eat you in one bite, to I see you. I remember you. I know your smell. I know your face. You are Arya. You are my companion that I used to belong to and now i have my own wolf pack i can't come back with you so i'm just going to turn around and walk off so you're safe now but that was an amazing moment because the chains went from wild beast that is about to attack her to just this soft little puppy and man i got all like heartbroken over it how did you guys feel about it isis she probably has it on mute. No, she? I'm. Well, um, yeah, I had it on mute. Sorry, <laughs> I was. Uh, I was having some cookies. Anyway, no, <laughs> I. I agree. It was absolutely adorable when we saw Nymeria. I felt that, um, and and I think I saw this written on the hustle. I don't know. It was somewhere, and it was the meaning what she was saying that that's not her, and um, it didn't draw. It didn't. I didn't put two and two together until I read that article, and it said, you know, basically this was a callback to the very beginning of Game of Thrones uh, when Ned is talking to Arya, and he's talking to her about, oh, you know, you could be a princess and wear these fancy clothes and all these things and, you know, marry a, a man and all this stuff, whatever, and she says, that's not me, and uh, and as a matter of fact, I had to call up the... the uh, the clip of that just so I could watch it and and when she says that and you you almost forget about it and then when she says that to Nymeria after she walks away and it's like but that's not her it wasn't the fact that it was no that's not Nymeria it was was like her coming to do that uh task to to go back to Winterfeld for Arya and stuff like that that that's not that's not who she is anymore she has her own thing going on and her you know, battle that she's going through and, and her, you know, tribulations, that, that's Arya's thing. And so I felt that that was so, so a, a great poignant moment. I, I don't know, again, who put that in there or whatever. Um, oh, okay. Uh, 
Corey Smith is saying that it was in the uh, episode, uh, behind the scenes episode um, of last of last night's episode. And I just felt like it was so a poignant moment that made me cry after the fact, than actually seeing the Nymeri. I thought it was very cool that Nymeri was there, but the fact that the meaning behind it just meant so much more to me. Corey Smith, did you have something to say? Yeah, I was just, I, I mean, just to build on it a little bit. Um, it, it just, to me, it kind of struck me. And I, again, I was like ISIS. I did not make the connection the first time I saw it. I'm not, I'm not, I think Thone said it last week. I'm not a metaphorical guy. I need it spelled out for me. Uh, so when I saw the behind the episode, it made a lot more sense. And to me, it just kind of said that the Nymeria is not a pet anymore. You know, she's not domesticated. She's wild. And that's kind of what Arya was kind of calling back to, you know what I mean? And I don't know if I was projecting or not, but I mean, the wolves, you know, whatever wolf was actually playing Nymeria, the wolf's eyes look sad. Like her face looks sad. Yeah. She was kind of talking to Arya. And so that was what kind of struck me is that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, humans do emotions, but when you kind of see emotion in an animal, it kind of hits you, you know, a little bit harder than seeing, you know, a person with emotions. It beats the shit out of your feels. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, But I want to say Macy Williams, we talked about last episode that, more than likely, the Hound was the MVP of the last episode because of his speech and the fact they looked in the flames and got religion and all that kind of stuff. Roy McCann really just killed his – like he probably stole the spotlight. This week, I'm, I, in my opinion, Macy Williams, who plays Arya, she that, – that scene right there, from, from whenever she learned that Jon was back at Winterfell to this moment when Nymeria starts to walk off and she says, that's not you – the expression on her face, she pulled that off. And David Benioff, one of the showrunners, actually said, for all the for all the CGI and for the things that we had to do for this scene, it wouldn't have worked if we didn't have an actor capable of pulling off the emotion. And Macy Williams did that. And that's exactly what I feel like my MVP for this episode was 100% Macy because that she sold it 100%. Like I was already heartbroken that – like you said, I may be projecting as well. Like it looked like Nymeria looked sad. Like well, I, I can't be with you, but at least I'm glad you're alive. So I got to leave now. Yeah, that kind of got that too. But Macy Williams pulled that off. She sold it. Um, let's move really quick now to uh, King's Landing. We've skipped around this episode. We're not really going in chronological order, but let's go back to King's Landing and Cersei going down to wherever they keep the dragon skulls of the Targaryens. And learning that Kyburn and the, the master crafters of, of King's Landing have put together a Skylands. So, yes. um, Ma- master crafters. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I, I just have a really hard time believing that they were, that people in the past when they were dragons weren't like, you know, what if we built a big ass arrow? Like nobody ever thought of that. Is this really where we're going that they built a big crossbow? Like, I, I just, I feel like that is such a, weak like bit of foreshadowing to be like oh we built this giant crossbow it's like nobody else ever thought of that did anybody build a big net or you know what you could do you could build a big you build a big pane of glass and the dragons will fly right into it and break their necks because they can't see like that's what really giant crossbows are what we're going with okay to be fair that's that's a show only thing because in the books they do they they have killed dragons 
with those things in the past. Yeah. So it definitely, yeah, it it was a, definitely a a show only thing that they kind of. You know what it felt like to me, and David will like this. It felt like after or when I first went to see uh, the Phantom Menace, oh god, and Darth Maul had this badass double sided lightsaber, and it was like we only invented this technology. 30 years in the past from where the original movie was, and then you guys just stopped using it for whatever reason. <laughs> what? Why, why doesn't everyone have these double-sided Why doesn't every Jedi have a double-sided lightsaber? Exactly. <laughs> why, what is this? So, like, it just felt so out of place. Again, it was a very Davos and fire burns ice things moment where it's like, has anyone thought about shooting them with a big arrow? It's like, you know, I haven't thought of that before. Peanut butter and chocolate. I, it's just, <laughs> I just want to point out that this is the second episode of Take the Black, second episode in a row where we've talked about uh, Star Wars. So I'm just going to put prequels, that out there. Not just Star Wars, the prequels. And the prequels, yeah. <laughs> Which, ironic, we can talk about <laughs> the prequels and stay on task ourselves. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> ironic. Uh, yeah, hell. but – I don't know, Corey Smith. I was more pissed that Kyburn shot the skull of Balerion and ruined a perfectly good dragon skull than I was about anything else. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. Pity of the Skylance aside, I I like that scene because it was you know there were some throwbacks to you know we had the little baby dragon skull which oh. we saw Viserys talking to or talking about back in season one. You know, we got to see all the skulls kind of in between, and then we got to see Balerion's, uh, which I think they're kind of, obviously they're using that as a, uh, you know, metaphor for Drogon, which even I caught. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they just kind of smash it up just to show that it can go through their, their bones. But even when I saw that, I'm like, well, they also have scales and, like, flesh and stuff. You know and they mean? move like, around. Drag- and they move. They're not standing dead still for you to, you know, whatever. But, uh, again, I, I mean, I liked parts of that scene, just not that part. Um, like, I, lo- I loved when Cersei went and stood in front of the dragon skull. You know, you got that great shot of standing. Oh, yeah. Of Cersei standing in front of Blaine's, uh skull. So, yeah, it had some good parts. But, yeah, obviously it had some really fucking stupid parts. So. Well. Let's uh let's let's get kicking over to Danny and her war council. And I saw earlier in the week it was on the Free Folk subreddit. Uh, somebody took a picture because HBO released a picture of Danny's war council, uh, an, an official HD one. And somebody took that and said there are uh all there's like four women and like four, maybe I think four guys and there's only one penis in this whole room. So I, mean, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny because I mean. What is it? Varys, uh, Grey Worm, and Theon, they're all eunuchs. So uh, I thought it was a cool scene. I thought that um, it's a nice – what's the word I'm looking for? Juxtaposition compared to how the, the, the king of the north runs his councils and, the, and the, the queen on the Iron Throne runs her councils. But what you get with Daenerys is she – like she'll listen to people. But because of Tyrion and his counsel, she's already made up her mind. And Corey Thone, you made a point about 
oh, let's before I think before we started the show, oh, let's sail around and have really bad ideas about taking over the Seven Kingdoms. Would you rather her just go torch King's Landing? Because at this point, I'm thinking the Seven Kingdoms is much larger than King's Landing. Let's just go ahead and obliterate. It's already half gone anyway with the set being blown up. Let's go ahead and just finish it <laughs> off. No, yeah, I uh, I definitely agreed with Tyrion and Varys' sentiment that let's try not to just kill like everyone. Let's see if we can use our giant resources at our disposal to what's the word influence the rest of the kingdoms to to give up right without even starting a fight obviously cersei wouldn't do that but if all of her bannermen and stuff were like yeah i'm not fighting that like that would have been preferable i guess Tyrion's yeah. idea of <laughs> Tyrion's idea of sailing everything to dorn and then coming back with the dornish army was like why? Why would you do that? You're why wouldn't so much they time. just? Why wouldn't they just march? Well, right? no, he 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 gave the reason why, and and Cersei alluded to this at the when she was talking to her group that she was using. Hey, you know what? They're going to bring these unsullied. They're going to do this. They're going to bring all these uh, outsiders uh, into uh, King's Landing and and to defeat us. And, and she's trying to rally those people. Tyrion knows. His sister's gameplay. He knows how she thinks. So that's why I felt like he was like, you know what? We're not going to bring these unsullied, um, you know, the Dothraki in there to go ahead and and overtake King's Landing. We're going to do it with their fellow countrymen. No, but I think I I get what you're saying. I think what the problem is, and here's here's where I think Bones right is. Why not just send a raven to, to, to Dorne and be like, hey, it's time to march? Here's, oh, where, the big, here's, where, the, here's yeah. where the big flaw is. Everybody of importance in Dorne that we know of is with Daenerys. That's kind of a major flaw. Like, why would you not leave at least one of the stupid snakes, or as our editor-in-chief Dan called them, coined the word today, the sand scrubs. Why not leave one of the sand scrubs mm-hmm. at, in Dorne and – just be able to coordinate so people will follow a Martell or, or a Martell bastard. Like, let, let, let's, yeah, let's do that. There should have been a liaison. There should have been a liaison, but no, yeah. everybody's with Danny. And now you have to, like, fucking fly across the map and sail across the world just to get armies moving. And it was a major flaw in their plan. And you can tell that Danny is supremely confident that she's going to have no problem waltzing into Westeros and taking over everything. Even her advisors are like, yeah, the lords of, of the Seven Kingdoms hate Cersei. She only has three kingdoms. Well, guess what? You weren't counting the fact that Olena Tyrell uh, is losing bannermen like Randall Tarly, and he's going to bring your entire army against you now. So her their plan for attack has just fallen to shit, and it's going to rely now on the fact that she has a Dothraki horde, she has an unsullied army, and she has three full-grown fucking dragons, and she's going to have to bring those dragons to bear if she wants to win this fight. And not only that, but, I mean, she's going to have to basically, you know, she's going to take over um, the Lannister uh, home, and that's that's another portion of that that I felt like they were not get the council wasn't getting until 
uh, Tyrion dropped that little fucking nugget on the table, like almost literally. It was like a little statue and says, yeah, we're going to go ahead and take over this. And uh, and everybody just kind of like looked at each other and went, oh, we get it now. We're, we're totally, you know, we're there with you. And then Danny was like, all right, are we cool now? Are we, are we you know, are we good? And, and then everybody she wants like, to talk to Olena. Well, and that's the thing is that Olena and I I love Olena and I don't know if Olena is right or wrong uh in her assessment, but she I don't know if she gave her good advice or bad advice. Um but she basically said, you know, you listen to yourself. You're the you're the dragon. Be the dragon. Know? Yeah, be the dragon. Um that and and I understand that, but you also need to listen to the people that know the players in this game the best. I mean, well, I granted, think I think Elena has a pretty good hand on the pulse of the situation. I mean, she might be skewed by this. I don't know. I think I think she's a little emotional. I think she she yeah. is. I mean, I'm not saying that she's completely in emotion. Emotion's not a bad thing. Uh, having emotions, you know, it's not a bad situation to have in this you know, Game of Thrones that you're playing or whatever. Uh, I just feel like that her her focus is on beating Cersei, not exactly maybe Danny becoming the queen. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, and no, so, I, I agree with you. I, I, I'm with you totally on that. Well, go ahead and give me your thoughts on that then. I said just a couple thoughts about the the war council in general. So, um, I lo- first of all, I love the fact that that Tyrion and Danny are smart enough to to counter uh, what is sort of Cersei's main argument with the the Lords of Westeros that they're going to use all these foreign armies to invade Westeros. Tyrion and Danny are smart enough to counter that, and that's why obviously they send the Tyrells and the and the Martells to take King's Landing. Um, and second, I do agree with with Isis that I, I question Olena Tyrells. Um, you know motives she's she's telling danny to be a dragon and to go burn stuff and et cetera et cetera and it's it's kind of it kind of came off the wrong way to me she did seem a little more obsessed with vengeance um and not necessarily with the safety of the people so um you know i I think i think right on with that isis and i you know even jamie alluded to it early in the episode that olena is worried about revenge so uh yeah i mean those are my you know sort of primary thoughts when i was watching that scene well um we're, we're gonna move straight on to what cory thone is really excited about um Masande and gray worm had a touching moment and uh not really sure how i felt about it a lot of people said it was nice and tender and it was great to see the two together phone you had some thoughts it was definitely nice and tender. It was just uh, too long, and I, I still – I'm just going to sound like a prick, but I don't care. I don't <laughs> care about their whole thing. They have good chemistry as actors. Uh, they – the scene, I get why it's happening. I understand, like, they these slaves have found their humanity, you know, under – Danny in a new world, like the they're like it's just everything's changing, and she it's it's like yeah it's really sweet I get it but for crying out loud like again twelve eleven hours now eleven hours of Game of Thrones left, and and we spent a lot of time taking off Grey Worm's pants to not even see 
the damage just to see his butt. Am I, the, was, am I the only one that wanted to see the damage? I was yes, like, oh. damn it. If you're going to do that, if you're going to make a whole point out of taking off his pants or skirt, whatever the hell it is he's wearing, I want to see... You know the. I want to see whatever the hell is going on down there. And we didn't get that. These are horrible, horrible. I wanted horrible. to see too. I wanted to know what, what the big deal. Like, okay, is it are are the is everything gone? Is it the twig or is it the berries too? <laughs> or is it just the twig? I don't understand what's going on. Show I don't me. know what. It, I don't understand the anatomy of it either, and I don't want to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yes, as uh, a great Smith has a great point in chat too. Right here, he says. He says she got the dress quickly. She had got like a. It's like straight up something from you would see like a cartoon, like one string, and she pulls it, and she's just nude, just boom. <laughs> yeah, like, and she's walking around dude. Dragonstone like yeah. that. Like she could, she yeah. could really damage herself. But she, she could, could snag cut. that string on like a dresser and just be naked. Right. <laughs> yeah. No one on said it was like opening a bag of dog food. Like you pull that little string. <laughs> And oh then boom, God. the bag's open. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say that I absolutely loved Masande and Grey Worm, the Ken doll, going at it. I was I was absolutely here for it. I felt like this is two characters that we've seen dancing around each other. Um, they both, you know, have had a really rough life. And it was it was so nice to see these two characters kind of go accept each other for who they are. And and, you know, Grey Worm was was very vulnerable. And, and I, I loved seeing that from these two characters. So the fact that we took five minutes to for this scene or whatever, I am completely here for it. I am fine with it. Uh, I would rather much I would much rather watch that shit than watching the the uh, freaking Westerosi psoriasis being peeled off of Sir Friendzone. Um, so I, I'm I'm completely happy with it. I love I love both of those characters, and um, you know I'm hoping that the fact that Masande you know and Grey Worm got bucked down. Um, that this doesn't mean that Grey Worm something's going to happen to Grey Worm. I really hope not. Yeah. I love him as a character, and I feel like this is kind of like alluding to kind of tie that little part up, saying, "Hey, but at least he had sex." And I just want to say that I've been saying on the podcast for I don't know how long that there was nothing wrong with Grey Worm's mouth, and I obviously he knew exactly what to do. So I'm and good. They could also scissor afterwards. So yeah, absolutely. Oh man, I That's said it. I was the only person making that joke. I said it. No, I said it, dude. All right, so no, but you're right. I feel bad for Grey Worm. It's about to go down. I feel like anything, anytime something good happens to a a minor, and I don't, I don't, I hesitate in calling Grey Worm a minor character, but he's not part of the core cast. That person's going to die, and I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm completely wrong. I hope Grey Worm comes back from. Uh, Casterly Rock, and he's okay, and they get to have multiple times where their their clothes fall off instantly, and they're happy. But I just don't know that that's going to happen now. I'm really, really worried. But uh, let's move into the final topic of the night, uh, the great sea battle between crazy-ass Euron and uh, his, his niece and nephew. But before we get into that battle, it's like David Benioff and Dan Weiss were just like, we fucking hate the Sand Snakes, too. And so we're going to give you one last moment of god-awful, terrible fuck-awful dialogue. And It's, it's the like, worst. 
It was mama, mama, and it's like, oh god, not damn. just that, not just the mama shit. Everything that that what's her name? Stupid hair. She didn't have stupid hair in the season with Oberyn, and all of a sudden we see her again, and she's got stupid hair. I can't remember her name. Elaria. But when she. When she starts like making the the walk down the happy trail to Yara's uh, oasis, like the <laughs> the porn dialogue was that was awful. coming out of it, it was absurd. It was the dumbest. It was one of it might be a top three worst moments of Game of Thrones. That was awful. I can't emphasize it enough. I can't emphasize how much that took me. It I couldn't enjoy. The rest of the episode, which I had other problems with, right after it. But at least they went balls out with a battle. Like I'll give them credit. Like they were episode two, balls out. Let's do it. But it's I couldn't even get into that because every time I would start to enjoy the show again, I'd be like, I can't give this show credit. They just they just stormed the castle. Or the hell they said talking about a vagina. I can't get into this. Like <laughs> was, this is awful. It was and and then Yara and Yara has had some of the most badass lines. She's been one of the coolest characters, and and they just ruin her by tainting her with Dornish bullshit. I know everything Dorn touches turns to shit. Like I feel like. Before you get to Olaria, you've got the girls laying in hammocks, and it's like they're talking about – they're calling dibs on kills when they get to King's Landing. Like, I'm going to kill the mountain. Really? You're going to kill the mountain, Tyene San, you little bitty girl with a dagger? That's what you're going to do? Okay, sure. And then they start saying, mama, mama, and it's like, I fucking hate all of you so much, and I really wanted to like you. I really wanted to give the Sand Snakes a chance because I'm one of the few book readers who enjoys Dorn in the books. I kind of, I don't know why. It's just I, I enjoy Dorn. Okay, thank you. And it, I do too. The Sand Snakes are so much more in depth and complex, and there's all kinds of different things they do. But in the show, they just they were ruined from the moment they they came on screen, and now their last moments are completely and totally ruined. And you're right, Alaria and her and her porn-like dialogue, and the fact that she kicks Yara's leg over, like, I'm gonna go straight to town, here we go. And it's like, oh my god, even, even Theon was uncomfortable with her dialogue. It was like, I need to get out of here. This is, this is fucking terrible, so I need to get out of here. But, right into the battle, it's like, you're on Greyjoy, and I know, Phone, you've got some opposite opinions of this. I have enjoyed you're on Greyjoy this entire season of two episodes. I've enjoyed him so far. He's been funny. He's been over the top. He's almost like a caricature of himself. He's a cartoon bad guy, and I think that's what this show kind of needs sometimes is there are, you've got Cersei who's a bad guy, and you've got whatever's going on. You've got the Night King. He never talks. You need a bad guy who's going to be stupid, and that's what Euron Greyjoy does. And from the moment he arrives on the silence, which, by the way, that was badass as the lightning lights up the Kraken sails. And Yara and Theon are like, shit, it's over. And when he brings down the gangplank that squashed one of the Ironborn on the on the on the on the ship, and he's screaming all the way down, I started laughing. I thought it was hilarious. Corey Smith. Yeah, I did too. Ahead, <laughs> I know you were laughing, Thone, because for a different yeah. reason. I, I well, I mean, not to disagree with you. I I liked almost every bit of. Euron's attack, except with for the gangplank thing, only because he he lowers that gangplank and then jumps on the ship by himself, and he's there for a solid 10, 15, 20 seconds before any of his backup arrives. 
And it's just like, all right, you this one guy just jumped in the middle of your ship. There's probably 20, 30 people surrounding him. And nobody even, like, you know, nobody can, they can't all take him down real quick because all his guys are, like, running down the gangplank after him. I, that was the only part of it that I didn't like. Once he started, you know, getting into it and the other guys joined the battle, I thought it was amazing. One of the better, one of the best battle scenes we've seen on the show. But that part, I was just like, really? He's just going on the ship by himself? I mean, crazy, but he's not stupid. But I, I don't know. But yeah, I did. The whole the whole rest of it was just amazing. And it was an amazingly shot scene. It had all, you know, it was one of the more intense and brutal battle scenes they'd had in a while. Um, and I, yeah, I liked it. It was just great. I like the fact that Theon, uh, before he... he was overcome with his PTSD and jump ship. I like the fact that he was killing a shit ton of Ironborn. Like, he was going to town with that sword. He was getting the best of, of, of a lot of his uh, the guys he was facing. Yara was was chopping some heads. And uh, But let's talk, before we get to the, the last scene of this, of this entire episode, let's talk about the demise of two of the Sand Snakes and how hilarious it was, that fight between... Um, between Euron and the two Sand Snakes, Obara and Nymeria. So, um, first of all, you've got Obara who uses a spear just like Obaran did, right? And what got Obara is she twirls the spear in some kind of flourish to, like, I don't know, fashionably show how cool she is. And that's what got her killed. Euron takes that moment to to bash her head in, and then he skewers her and sticks the spear up in her and sticks holds her up in the air, and she's done. And then Nymeria, who is not Indiana Jones, which, by the way, props to Smith on that tweet last night. You're right. If you're not Indiana Jones, you have no business using a bullwhip in a fight. And she's on a ship in the middle of a fight. She's trying to use this bullwhip to no good whatsoever on Euron. She's just it, – it has no effect on him. And – he just pulls her in and chokes her out with it, which – and now we're down to Sand Snakes, and it's just like I could breathe a sigh of relief. Corey Thone, I know you've got some thoughts in this battle. Give them to me. Look, I understand, and, and I don't hate Euron. I loved episode one, Euron. I thought he was funny and a nice change of pace in terms of the somber tone of the show. Yeah. But this episode – uh, no. I get that they are trying to, like, rapidly make him, because he's been in how many episodes now? Is it three or four? Three. Three. Because he just showed up in the last one last season. Three. He okay. showed up in so one episode been... last season to get to get the king. Yeah, he killed He well, killed the king. This and will then... be four. Yeah, that's right. This would be four, because he killed his brother. Yeah, it's two episodes. You're right. You're yeah, right. okay. So, yeah. Correct. So, four episodes. So, they rapidly, and, and last season you're on, and this season you're on, are two totally different characters. But it's they're rapidly trying to make him a the new like male villain that is intimidating physically and is crazy, has crazy eyes and blah blah blah. And it's like for me, it is just too little, too late, man. Because I know that he's not going to end up on the Iron Throne, and I know that like there's whatever schemes he has in place, what whoever he does end up killing, he's going to die. Per- Probably this season, if not next, then I mean he will die before the end. It's just kind of like I, I'm trying to think of a good example from an, another show. Uh, are you guys like Justified fans at all? Yeah, obviously. Okay, well maybe I don't know. So 
the next to last season, you have Michael Rappaport in it as the bad guy, mm-hmm. and you really just can't give too much of a shit because you know that he's not going to kill Raylan <laughs> because they have one more season. Yeah. So it's like, I don't... I mean, whatever. He fights good, fine. Can we move this along? Like, Euron, to me, as cool as, as having a pirate fight scene was, it was just like, this. I mean, we all knew this was coming, so it's like, can we, can we move it along? Because like, I, I, he's not going to be around very much longer, no matter what. So I just, I'm not buying into them having enough time to make him a villain, so he was just amplified in this episode, where he was psychotic and everything, and it's like, I... Come on, man. Like, that just felt like something out of a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, just with more blood. <laughs> Everybody's been saying that, but I will say this. I think Euron's got some kind of role to play. Maybe he'll, he'll, I don't think Cersei, I don't think Cersei will ever fully trust him, ever, because she doesn't trust anybody, but he'll gain some measure of, some semblance of trust, and I think he's gonna turn on Cersei at some point. And not go to the good side, just turn on her because he's Euron. Uh, but, uh, and, and he's crazy and he'll probably do something stupid and probably end up causing somebody close to her to die again. And that'll probably send her over the edge, but I don't know that might happen in next season. Um, but let's get to the final moments and ISIS, you want, you have some thoughts on what happened because Theon went from this badass warrior. Like he was really back. He was chopping dudes up, slicing necks. And the moment Euron called his name out, at first he still had that ferocious look on his face like he was about to charge Euron. And then he starts to look around and see the violence going on around him, and he starts to break apart. What were your thoughts on his PTSD attack? You know, it was it was so sad to see because – yeah, at that moment you think, okay, you know, he, he has gotten back. But anybody who knows anything about uh, PTSD, and, and I've had friends that when I was in the military, um, I have friends who have PTSD, and they, they from all different types of things. And um, something you don't expect is, expect is a trigger. Something will trigger a, a memory or a feeling of, a time where they were scared or helpless and and you don't know uh, i mean as you go on and you're living through uh, ptsd because you you never really get rid of it um you know what are your triggers and stuff but anything really can kind of set those things off and um so i felt so bad for theon i really felt that at that moment we really saw in his eyes for the first time in a little while reek kind of come back mm-hmm. um and it was definitely um, a fight or flight, and, and in that moment, it was going to be flight. So uh, what really killed me was to see the look on Yara's face. The last time we saw her look like that, that, that look of disappointment and despair, was the last time she tried to save Theon uh, mm-hmm. from... Um, uh, Ramsey? From Ramsey. Where were they? From He was the in the dread cage. Fort. They were in the dreadfort. Yes. Fort. Thank you. Yes. So uh, the time that she tried to save him and he wouldn't go, uh, she would only stay there. And and that look in her face was almost I I felt like it was almost identical to to that look when she was uh, on the boat being held. And um, and and I, I feel like people were so disappointed in Theon. And I think that Theon has come a far away from where he was as Reek. And I feel like that we cannot, 
you know, just assume that, okay, well, you know, he had this really bad thing happen to him and everything, and he has just moved on. That's not how PTSD works. It, it, that, it just doesn't. It's, it's something that stays with you, will always be with you, and, you know, you can control your triggers, uh, how you react to those triggers, but it does not go away. And so when I saw it, again, I was very sad about what was happening, but I understood it. And I could kind of go and say, okay, well, what now? What is the next step that Theon can do? Um, and, and, you know, he's got basically two things he can do, in my opinion. He can either, one, go back to Danny, tell her what's going on or what happened, because she needs to know about her Navy that is now just, you know, been decimated. Um, or does he go to uh, King's Landing and try to do all stealth mode and try to get his sister back out? Uh, so well, those we are the two. The things. thing is, we don't know that Euron's bringing her to King's Landing. I have a feeling that Euron's keeping Yara all to himself. Honestly. Well, it, it, and I I can get that, and and I respect that. But at the same time, you know, there's got to be something. Uh, there's some kind of indicator for, you know, Euron, yes, he is after his sister, but he also, Theon also is a smart guy and understands that he's not going to only just do this just for shits and grins. I mean, he is kind of crazy, so he might do it for shits and grins, but there is also a long game that he's playing, and it's possibly involving uh, Cersei Lannister. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's, you know, what he needs to probably do is to go and see uh, Danny report back what what happened and everything. And we're not I, I don't I'm not for sure what Danny's reaction uh, to his kind of betrayal. Uh, well, we don't know. We don't know how that's going to shake out. We don't know if he's going to tell the whole story or if he's going to keep that to himself. Uh, but I will point out that um, during that clunky dialogue scene where Ilaria is trying to be all trying to be all smooth and sexy with Yara. Um, Yara says he's my protector, and that was kind of like a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's like he's my protector, and then at the very end, um, he ends up not being her protector. And I kind of think that's kind of another, another another piece of the heartbreak on Yara's face is I can't de- even you know I don't think they understand P- PTSD in that time. They don't really get it because her fix for it was more drink and uh, you know hanging out with me and let's let's all talk about women and stuff. And that's her way of fixing him uh, and just telling him to be tough. And then he just kind of – I don't know. He just – you're right. The trigger was there. I will say this. I was more harsh on him last night. Immediately after the episode, I was really pissed off that this happened. I was like, Beyond's a coward. He, he left his sister. Yeah, sure, he's got PTSD, but he he's irredeemable in my eyes. But the more I watch – I've watched it again. I think I've watched it twice now afterwards, and you're right. There is absolutely a moment where he goes and – it, and it was probably the moment where the guys on the Ironborn were cutting like the tongues out of the guys they were, they were killing or whatever they were doing. And it's kind of like you know Ramsey removed body parts from Theon, and that might have been the trigger right there. I don't know. But um, he, he I, I, definitely it, fell into himself. And I, and I just – I mean, and that's what I want people to understand. Now, let's hope that Euron doesn't do anything to Yara, but it may become – a thing where Yara understands Theon's position uh, once maybe, you know, she is tortured or whatever, because Euron seems like a freaking crazy guy uh, along the lines of Ramsay. Uh, and I feel like that maybe she'll understand him better 
if something god forbid something like that happened but if she were were to be tortured um to the level that maybe theon was tortured she would have a better understanding um of what he actually went through and and well, let's and hope that doesn't like have that. to happen <laughs> let's hope not because and let's hope that she doesn't die because she's one of my favorite characters i love her um so she's excellent but um but anyway those are just my thoughts on the PTSD because I saw a lot of people chiming in on the live tweet that they were pissed off about Theon and, and everything. And then I'm like, you guys obviously have never met somebody with PTSD, you know, who's been in a war zone. And, and I mean, and, and I'm not saying that PTSD happens only to people who have been to war or anything like that. But I've, I've dealt with that with my friends who have been in the military and I've seen it firsthand. And it's one of those situations where I just kind of go like, you guys just really don't get it. And, um, it, it's just, it's very hard to explain. Right. Well, that is the final scene. Uh, Theon is in the water. We get a last goodbye of the two sand snakes that were killed as one is hanging from, uh, the ship. The other one spiked to it. Um, couldn't be a better I a, ending. I have a question. Yeah. So, how did Euron know where they were? That is a very good question. I really don't know the answer to that. It's GPS. Like, GPS. Westrosi <laughs> GPS. Uh, my immediate thought was someone uh, inside of that small council room for Danny uh, told him. Ooh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, who, I don't know. I think. Euron probably knew, you know, more or less where they are. I mean, they kind of know that Danny's on Dragonstone, so Euron's probably just lurking, you know, around Dragonstone. Not, you know, within sight of the island, but he kind of knows they're on Dragonstone. There's only so many places they're going to go from Dragonstone, so he's probably just, you know, lying and wait somewhere. Yeah, let me tell you something. I'm an expert on pirates because I watched Black Sails, and... um, (laughs) They did on the show. They actually like tracked each other. I was like pirate hunters, so I know what I'm talking about. Okay, so you don't need GPS. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess I, there's only so many places you can go from Dragonstone. I know that Dragonstone is actually pretty close to King's Landing anyway, is, yeah. as, as the map goes. But right. to me, it just seems like they were not in like war formation or anything. They were not at prepared. All. They were not prepared and, at all. Okay, well. You have to remember, though, too, and I thought about this. They're like, well, how the hell, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they didn't know. They left before Euron said, hey, I'm going to build a thousand ships. And they didn't know Euron went and allied with Cersei. I mean, yeah, they probably thought Euron's pissed at us, but they didn't necessarily know Euron was actively out there at that time. And here's my fundamental problem with that. Cersei knows everything that's going on at Daenerys' camp, but Daenerys doesn't know shit about everybody else like she knows that her brother Tyrion's there advising him she knows she has three full-grown dragons she knows Tyrells and the Martells are there she knows she has Unsullied and Dothraki and yet Danny is like okay just go out there and let's split the fleets up let's one go to Dorne the other one goes lay siege to King's Landing let's it's no big deal we're all okay I think it's garbage I, I think we're seeing that yeah they have some good plans but also they're a little bit overconfident. Yeah. You know, it yeah. didn't even occur to them that they might get attacked on the way down to Dorne. You know, they were just like, Hey, go pick up, bring them back up here. You know, like, you know, there's some sort of Uber or whatever, but it, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think it was necessarily 
far-fetched that Euron could catch them. Um, I think they clearly just did not see Euron coming at all and not, like, in a physical way. I think they just didn't think that Euron was lurking around out there. And he got, Which was then they terrible got on their part. Right, they yeah. Been ready. Exactly, and I think that kind of goes back to, you know, they they just didn't really... You know, they didn't think the plan all the way through, and they were a little overconfident about it. And they, you know, and I think now they're going to finally, you know, wisen up, I guess. Um, Well, I don't think there's much more that Danny can take. If she's already lost major allies in the sea battle, she's lost half her fleet, obviously. Um, There's only so much more loss. So much more of a loss she can take before she unleashes the dragon and we get the Field of Fire 2.0. But that was the end of this episode, and the trailer for next week is the King, the Queen's Justice is 703, and it's got the first ever meeting of Jon Snow and Daenerys. So all you Jon Aries shippers out there, get ready. You're about to see some epic <sighs> meeting of two of, of ice and fire, literal ice and fire about to meet. That's going to be exciting. Um... Other than that, this was a decent episode. I was uh, pleasantly surprised with everything that happened. I did not expect us to have the jaw-dropping moments of uh, the season premiere, and we didn't get – we did have a few. We didn't get them all, and that's okay. Um, so I think we've got everybody's thoughts on this episode. We can go ahead and call this podcast good. Leave some comments for us and, and let us know what you would like to see in the next episode. And, and if you have questions you would like us to answer online – on air let us know we'll address them and um, we'll be back next week with the Queen's Justice and thanks for listening Lord Mogulis This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.